You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Hey, everybody, you are tuning in to a live episode of Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. We're here on Clubhouse recording a two-part episode, and it's going to be replayed on my podcast. Tomorrow, we are dropping part one, and on Friday, we're dropping part two. If you guys missed last week's episode, make sure you DM me, replay, and we're going to send you that replay link so you can tune into part one. Like I said, it was an amazing conversation. I got over 100 DMs with people requesting the replay link. So last week, we had an amazing panel. We also had many surprise guests. We had super juicy insights in terms of how to grow on this app. And um, today's session is also going to be recorded, and it's going to be focused on monetization, sponsorship models, and the impact Clubhouse is having on podcasting and social media. So if you guys haven't heard, Clubhouse released their first monetization feature yesterday, and this episode couldn't have come at a better timing. We were planning on talking about monetization without realizing that this announcement was coming. So perfect timing. And in this blog post, they announced that they're rolling out payments. So it's essentially a tip feature and a small test group is going to get this feature. It's about a thousand people who got this feature. Actually, Christian on the panel has this feature. So we're going to ask him about it. And the plan is for Clubhouse to collect feedback and fine tune this feature and then roll it out to everyone. So I think what better way to set off this podcast by talking about this tipping feature. And today on the stage, I have several influencers. We have Ade, Jared, Christian, Caroline, Joey, Dimitri, Sohib, Mario, Steve Ulsher is joining soon. So we have club owners, engineers, top moderators, an amazing group here today to give you guys some value. If you guys haven't yet, ping your friends into the room, tap that bless sign at the bottom of the screen. And today is also sponsored by Koji. And we have MySpace former CTO, Dimitri Shapiro on the panel. He's also the CEO of Koji. And so thank you so much for sponsoring my Young and Profiting podcast. So for everybody on the panel, this is how it's going to work. If you guys want to speak, flash your mic one time so that I know that you guys want to respond to the question. I'm going to be paying super close attention to the stage. And when you speak for the first time, please introduce yourselves. Um, you guys are all pros, so I know that you guys can keep the engagement up in the room. Don't go too long in terms of introducing yourself so we can keep the conversation flowing. Okay, so as I was saying, Clubhouse rolled out payments and its tip feature yesterday. It's their version of Venmo. Let's focus on this tip feature and then we'll move to subscriptions and tickets. I want to know, guys, are you guys happy about this change, this ability to tip certain creators? How do you guys think it will change the culture? Do you guys think there's going to be any repercussions for having this feature? Uh, Let me know your thoughts. Who wants to go first? Christian, let's go to you. 
Yeah, maybe we should talk about what the feature is. So the feature now is like with some individuals. So they, from what I've heard speculatively, that there is a thousand individuals that got the ability to have tipping on their um, profiles. So if you click on somebody's profile and you click on their bio, you're going to see a send money button. So already with being on this app and getting a bunch of DMs, I already I could tell like people are like, hey, Christian, like, so if I go into your room, you know, are you going to split the money with us? And so. So I'm already getting DMs like that. And I'm just like, oh man, like, I, I don't know what to do with it. Cause eventually everybody sh- should have this button. Right. And, you know, it's already like talked about, but I'm wondering like how it's going to affect the community. Because when Insta clubs came out, I know I definitely didn't see some people that I was used to seeing. So with monetization, I think, I think it's a good thing for creators and I definitely want to talk about it later, but also like, you know, it's also pushing people away. Awesome. Let's go to Ade and then Dimitri. First of all, I want to say, Hala, thank you for putting this together. It's uh, impeccable. But yeah, to what Christian said, am I happy or sad? I actually think um, net, it's good for creatives who have put their time and energy into this app. But for certain people who are using this app in nefarious ways or in devious ways, it may end up diminishing the quality of certain conversations. And in some cases, causing animosity, as we've seen. So we predicted this feature was going to launch since last week. That's when we found out about it. And from the moment we predicted it, people were already trying to find ways, right? They were already building up business models, ways to assign who gets paid and what. Now, if you do that right, it's okay. But if you don't do it well and you don't have your moderators, you know, who are doing work well compensated and there's there's just so many ways it can go wrong. But I do think it's a step in the right direction for people who are putting their energy into the app. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I think from a clubhouse standpoint, I understand why they decided to release this feature because they want to keep people on their app. When it comes to social media influencers, usually they build a following on Instagram or wherever they built their following, and then they move their fans to Substack or OnlyFans or Cameo. And so this is really good for retention from a retention standpoint. So I understand why they did it. Dimitri, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're you're all spot on. I think it's a great thing. It makes sense. But by the way, this isn't sort of a unique thing, right? Like on Facebook and Facebook Messenger, I can send people money. A bunch of people have put PayPal buttons on various profiles, not on Clubhouse, but on others, uh, or Venmo or Cash App or any of that stuff. So this ability to do it inside a Clubhouse makes it easier and sort of more evident. And to your point, because of that, because it's so close to this, and because it's called send money, it sort of implies a lot of things. And so, for example, you know, Koji, we've got a bunch of people that are using our, we call it tip jar template, right? And our LinkedIn bios. Like if you guys actually tap on my profile, go to my Instagram and tap on my LinkedIn bio, Koji.2 slash Dimitri, you'll see that I've got a tip jar, except it's not called tip jar and doesn't say send money. And because of that, it's feels radically different than a button on a clubhouse profile that says send money. Our ability to change what that thing is called that you're doing. Are you sending money? Are you saying thank you? Are you saying that you liked my content? It's a lot more about the message that you're sending rather than the money that you're sending, at least in in sort of the version of tip jar that people have been using that's the Koji one. And so I think this is going to be the interesting sort of experiment to see is, for example, do they allow us on Clubhouse to customize what that button is called? 
Is it always going to be called send money or could I change it to say something else? Can I add a message with my money? Like all of those, I think are going to be interesting questions. Super, super interesting questions. And if you guys are curious to see what the Koji tip jar looks like, go check out my Instagram link in bio. I have my Koji uh, link set up. It's so cool. If you guys want to click around, it's so much better than Linktree. I'm not even saying that as like a, because Koji is sponsoring me. It is literally so much better. So check that out. Any other thoughts, guys? I know I was just in the back channel and I saw that Caroline has the feature. Sohaib has the feature. What do you guys think of this new tipping feature? Are you using it? Have people already sent you? money. Tell us about it. Caroline here. So I do have to say there is some security issues that I encountered yesterday when we were playing around with the app and people were just sending tips back and forth. It did say my location. Someone had sent me some money and it said my location on it. So I had to change that real quick and put a business address on it. Um, I do live in a smaller town. And so see, like realizing that uh, was an issue was definitely something I, there was like a warning somewhere about that. So just a heads up, you guys. Yeah. And and Christian, what did you want to say about that? So um, this has been very interesting. So right when the monetization feature came out, I threw up a CH town hall room and um, pretty much just said, hey guys, let's crowdsource this and like, let's put all this money towards a CH town hall. So yesterday and even today, I've gone over 150, 141 donations and over $1,600. So I think it's crazy what this app can do. So what's really fun about that, what's really cool is that we're going to put all of those names of people that donated onto our website that we're developing. And also if there's enough character limit, put them as the first investors in or, you know, donators to the club. So again, we're going to try to take all these town hall recaps and all the notes that we take and translate them into other languages. So then that way, everybody of Clubhouse can get this information because it's so hard to get. So very exciting time. Oh, look at that. David just sent me five bucks. (laughs) You'll be added to the list, David. So my name is Christian and I'm done speaking. (laughs) I didn't do that for the list. I've been been tipping people. I think I tipped Caroline too. Well, it's so funny. I mean, even the Koji tip jar, I put that up in my profile like two hours ago and two people already tipped me and I didn't even open up a room. It was before this room even started. So it's like, there's obviously some sort of a trend, like people like to do it, which is just so interesting that it works. Let's talk about how Clubhouse is not taking a cut of everything. So usually um, these apps, they monetize when they have these monetization features and they take a percentage. So Stripe is taking a percentage of your money, but Clubhouse isn't. Why do you guys think that Clubhouse decided to monetize their creators before they monetize themselves? Let's go to Ade first. Yeah, to this. Thank you, Hala. Um, This is a typical business move, right, from what we understand where you don't you want to keep people coming into your platform. You don't want to give them a reason to feel like you're being greedy or that you know you're trying to milk them. You want them to feel like you, you're here for them. I do expect Clubhouse, obviously, they're not stupid. They will find other ways to make money, either through sponsorships or maybe by raising the rates later. So it's a common with Silicon Valley move where you just focus on growth. Sometimes you even choose to run at a loss just to get people in, get people going. And then after the fact, you can either crank up the numbers, erase things. But I think this is perfectly in line with Clubhouse's growth strategy and trying to get more and more creators on board. Thank you. And it looks like, David, you wanted to respond. Yeah, I would say that it was a smart move by doing that, laying it out to, uh, I mean, who knows how many creators have it, but there's plus 10 million on the platform, right? So 
I feel like they're probably going to do that so that they hopefully get good reactions from it. And then, sorry about the baby in the background, it's time for her to go to sleep. And then when they open it up to everybody, that's what I would foresee is them charging or getting a piece like a additional surcharge or like, like Addie said, raising the rates. That's what I would think they would do. I totally agree. I mean, at the end of the day, their goal is to grow their user base and to retain and engage their users. Like that's their goal, especially with all these other drop-in audio apps coming out of the woodwork and all these established platforms coming out with their own drop-in audio features. They need to really figure out how to keep their audience engaged and retained. And I think this monetization feature is trying to play into that. So how do you guys think that Clubhouse is going to generate income and become a profitable business from all of their users? Like what are the ways that you guys think that they're going to start to actually monetize so that they can, uh, you know, eventually be able to pay their investors back? One way, obviously, right. And uh, something that I think could easily happen could be a freemium model. That's one that I think would be quite interesting. There's a lot of low hanging fruit features that a few people, a lot of people want and would pay even $5 a month just to have, you know, like I'd like to be able to click a link in your bio, for example, or be able to do, you know, get a better curation of rooms and discovery. And maybe there'll be two halves, right? Those who pay for a premium version of Clubhouse and those who pay, who just have the free version and they go to, you know, the shoot your shot rooms and the hangout rooms. That could be one way. Another way is to just focus on the sponsors, right? People paying Clubhouse to say, hey, I'd like to run live events or live, you know, concert type events, or to say, you know what, if you want your room to be transcribed automatically by Clubhouse and recorded, well, here's one way you could pay. Another way is also if they choose to make their own in-app or, you know, Clubhouse certified analytics, that's another way, right? So a lot of these things could, may not be exposed to the average person, but may also be exposed to those who want a supercharged version of Clubhouse. That's something I would pay for. And I'm sure most people here who are creatives would pay for a supercharged version of the app. So we're going to move on to other monetization strategies because many people have been monetizing on this platform way before these features came out. You know, some of us are not waiting for these monetization features to come out and we're already starting to monetize, including myself. Um, And today's an example of that. And so I want to know, guys, have your peers been monetizing on the platform? Have you guys been monetizing on the platform? And I mean, like outside of your networking deals, how are you actually monetizing the platform directly, be it guests? appearances, sponsorships, tip jars. Nidhi, let's go to you first and then Mario. Thanks, Holly. This is Nidhi speaking. Um, I've been able to get a couple of sponsorships here through Clubhouse. So a couple of brand deals, one where I was uh, sponsored to do a room and facilitate the room on behalf of a big brand. And then um, another brand partnership where I collaborated with them on Instagram and was able to put out uh, mental health related content, as well as do some Instagram lives and get some monetary compensation. So brands are reaching out to some of the power moderators here on the platform that are a fit for whatever you know, aligns with their brand. Um, And then of course, you know, with the networking piece of things, that's been a major contributor as well. But yeah, there've been a couple of opportunities and I'm just so grateful um, that people are reaching out for that because I think it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to be able to build those partnerships, expand the reach here on Clubhouse and to start that monetization process outside of the app as well. Very cool. And Mario, how do you monetize Clubhouse right now? So there are a number of ways that monetization that I'm that I'm seeing and I'm doing one is just going to some of the brands that I know are aligned with the message that we deliver in rooms 
And since they're aligned with that, so a brand's not going to do anything with you unless there's actual alignment. That alignment can be tangible or intangible, but there has to be alignment. So the alignment could be with you, the personality. The alignment could be with the actual content of the room, or the alignment could be with the type of people that you actually reach. So there are different reasons that a brand could align with you. And if you kind of understand that formula, then you can start to understand how if you start treating this like we've done with uh, Zenny, which is an eyewear company, which is a physical product. So it's hard to actually think about how you can do physical products in an audio platform, but not that much harder than you would if you had to do it on a podcast. So we know that in a podcast situation, the brand recall is 71% higher. Brand recall meaning people will remember the brand recalled more if the host of the audio platform says the actual ad. So even though in our Zenny rooms, or any of those sponsored rooms that we've done, I know that somewhere in the middle, I'm going to go ahead and do an ad or a read that's read by the host because I know the brand recall is going to be higher. But one of the other things that we've done too is use Clubhouse and some of its kind of nuanced features like PTR and having people change their avatar to the brand's logo in order to do certain things or enter certain contests or maybe get moved to the front of the line for a question, things that can be visual inside of the app for people to be able to experience. So those are just some of the things that I've seen that's been working. That's amazing. And I can just share my personal experience. So as a very popular podcaster, I get brands asking me all the time to sponsor my podcast. And now all these brands are also interested in my clubhouse rooms. And so that's why I've been basically recording my episodes on clubhouse and then uploading them to my podcast. And so it's become this whole other revenue stream, I think for a lot of podcasters and a very easy way to kind of upsell these brands who are already sponsoring my existing podcast. So it's just really cool to have all these different opportunities. Has anybody had a guest appearance fees? And it looks like Jared and Anidhi want to talk about something. Uh, I also want to ask the panel if anybody has heard of people booking for guest appearances. Uh, let's go to Jared and then Nidhi. Yes, this is Jared speaking. Um, because I am really an influencer in tech, focused on getting more diversity in tech, I've had startup founders wanting me to add, be in addition to their panel. One, because of the followers that I have and the always-on notification being on for a lot of my followers, it does drive an increase of engagement, and they're looking to increase their brand, uh, increase their following. But also what it does is you know, increases their credibility when it comes to being in the diversity space in tech. So they are are, you know, asking for what are my rates per hour or what is my rate as a just a brand sponsor for a certain period of time, whether it be a month, two months or three months. So I have gotten a lot of, you know, reach outs to be a guest uh, appearance. And um, it has been, you know, pretty lucrative. But at the same time, I have to be very, very smart about, you know, what aligns with my personal brand, what is a company or a CEO that I would want to endorse. But it has been a win-win situation. And if there's somebody that, is genuine and authentic about their interest in increasing diversity in tech, talking about those type of things, or talking about tech in general, I'm more than happy to accept that offer. Jared Dunn speaking. 
This is Nitty speaking. Jared, I completely want to echo what you're saying that, you know, I think it's so, so important that what's what I'm, you know, the types of brands that I'm aligning with make sense based off of who I am as a therapist. Um, and I've had people also approach me to be an expert on a panel. Um, I've asked if people have reached out to me to be able to host under my club um, and to pay money for that um, because I run the Mental Health Matters Club. And so people do want to be able to compensate for your time and expertise. And I think it's really amazing because um, we invest so much in to ourselves, that it's it's so nice that other people see the value in that. Um, but I am particular about it because I want to make sure that I'm representing my personal brand and that whoever I'm collaborating with is also an extension of that. And I want to just make sure that they are also in alignment with what my values are as a brand too. So this is Nitty and I am done speaking. I think those are great points. Let's go to Dimitri and then Ade. So and again, we're kind of in the middle of this. So I'm seeing this across, you know, many different people on many different networks, Clubhouse being, you know, one of them. But people typically think of monetization of audiences by brands being the customer and sort of brands paying them for access to their audience. And that totally makes sense. It mostly makes sense for people that have a super large audience because brands, you know, time is valuable and how many people they engage with, all those sort of dynamics that come out of that. So certainly if you can get a brand deal, that's amazing. For the rest of us and sort of the long tail of of creators uh, on any of these platforms, uh, that's not an option. We'll never get any brand dollars. But Again, it's really amazing that if you don't look at the brand as being where the wealth comes from, but the audience, not only is it aligned with what we do as creators, right? We don't make things for brands. We make things for audiences. Not only does it get us to align with our audience, but then it's surprisingly to most people, the fact that audience will pay them, will give them money. Again, mostly in the form of sort of like saying thank you saying your content was valuable, it changed my direction in, in my professional career, or it made me think of things in a different way, or did whatever. Like this ab- ability to offer people to say thank you, not send money, that's different, to say thank you. When you do that, we see this across all kinds of sort of genres of creators and sizes of creators. There are people that will just give you money. There's one guy, I'm not going to mention his name because sort of, again, privacy, but people give him $500 tips periodically. It's amazing. His audience, he's a podcaster, love him so much that they give him these $500 tips. Other people, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, meaningful amounts of money. Anyway, so uh, I'd like to sort of bring that perspective in. Don't only think about brands as being the place where monetization comes from. I actually believe that the audience is a much, much larger opportunity. By the way, I think same thing for Clubhouse on the prior question. How is Clubhouse going to monetize? I think it would be, you know, sort of doing doing sort of a freemium model and offering premium services to creators. That's a small business. The real business comes like, how do you make money from the audience? And they'll have to figure that out. But, but that's where all the sort of big revenue is anyway. All right. So I want to go on to move to clubs. So there's actually monetization related to clubs. For one, I think that they're going to be rolling out a subscription model soon. So if anybody wants to kind of give their thoughts on that. And then two, there's brands that want to buy clubs. And so Suheib, Chris, I know you both have two huge clubs and Steve Ulsher's on the panel. He's back as well. Do any of you guys want to talk about 
the value of a club. Let's go to Suhave, the value of a club, the metrics that people are using to measure the monetary value of a club and things like that. Hey, Hala. So yeah, first let's quickly touch upon uh, the tipping feature. It's it's interesting, um, especially for creators, comedians, and musicians. And then I guess secondly, it's just interesting how the habit is pretty different in America compared to the UK when it comes to tipping. And then secondly, um, yeah, I mean, with brands, um, I mean, I've been, I'm really into health tech. I'm a medical doctor into tech. So a lot of these brands I use, a lot of these technology devices, I'm pretty passionate about data. So without getting paid, I'd be plugging them all the time anyway on my social channels because I really look at the data and share. So for me, it's a pretty natural fit when if I'm already working in a kind of with a startup or a health company and I really believe in some of the kind of health metrics that if they did want a partner, I, I would be kind of down for that because I'm without any payment, I'm plugging them anyway. So for me, as, as Nidhi said as well, it has to be a very natural fit. It has to be kind of science-based. Um, it has to be something that will actually help people and maybe improve them. So that's how it would work for me. On the club thing, I see it as kind of as a sports team. I'm pretty into sports and every kind of sport club has this intrinsic value and you see transfers and people buy clubs. You build a community. But I think a lot of that value is attached to kind of the quality of the show. So say if there was to be, you know, you were to be approached, for me, it'd be very important that the, the brand or whoever would take over would be very authentic to kind of what I've been building. And I guess the selling point would only come is that because obviously in kind of the roles I have I, are pretty demanding. So if I can no longer maintain the quality of say the human behavior club being the largest club then i feel i'm not doing justice to kind of the audience that's kind of come along with me whilst i could dedicate the time if i kind of you know back in my clinical practice and you know doing more tech stuff that i'm passionate about in startups then obviously there's opportunity cost of like the quality so therefore the question would arise is that how do i maintain that quality and the obvious thing would be would be someone to take over um, but right now i'm enjoying um doing the human paper club having great conversations and kind of educating a lot of people so yeah i think the metrics would probably be kind of i guess the people who are hosting in your club the quality of the shows the engagement you're getting for the shows kind of a range of different things but obviously followers and members so there's a range of different things i mean there's not been i mean I think pretty early on, I was approached by, I think, someone in an Italian VC who wanted to kind of invest in the club. I really didn't, wasn't thinking about anything like that, so I kind of brushed it off. But I think being a social media platform, I think those conversations will be happening. So it's just interesting to see uh, how different people deal with it. But that's kind of my insight. Yeah, it's super interesting. And also curious about like the way that people are going to value a club. I can imagine people saying like, you know, it's a dollar per user, for example, or even $2 per user, or maybe they'll do it by CPM per thousand users. It's so interesting. Let's hop to Steve and then add a, and then potentially Chris, if he wants to add something since he's a club owner too. Let's go to Steve. Hey, hello. How are you? Good to see everybody tonight. Well, as well, um, Steve Olsher, founder, editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, and uh, we do Run Club Pod here on Clubhouse. So, I mean, look, uh, twofold, right? I mean, first and foremost, it has to do, I believe, largely with, as with anything that you're selling, it has value to the buyer. So you have to look at who the buyer is and what the real value is them to, to, to them to be able to reach whatever that audience is or, what, or whatever it is that you're selling. The value, obviously, is going to be in the eyes of the, uh, of the beholder, in this case, the buyer. So for us... Our value, I believe, is going to be different than Sohaib's, right? Because human behavior is is is, is very broad, and there's a lot of, and, and that's great. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility, and there's a lot of places that that conversation can go. For us with Club Pod, obviously, it's about podcasting, podcast culture, the world of podcasts, et cetera. So 
were very, very narrow. My thinking is, and this was the intention of going very narrow, is that on a CPM basis, if we're looking at it from that standpoint, um, I believe ultimately our, our CPM will probably be a bit higher than a club that may be a little bit more general in nature. Now, obviously, we'll, we'll prove that out and, and time will tell. But I will say that from a monetization standpoint, I think there's a couple of opportunities that are available to us with the with now the addition of the monetization feature and the tipping and send money. Um, certainly doing members only types of events is is very clear. And I think that will that will happen sooner rather than later. And I think from a sponsorship standpoint, and you and I, Holly, have been talking about this extensively, I think you're going to see brands come in and want to do a room takeover, want to do a day-long takeover, and potentially even do a week-long takeover. Just to put a little context around that, the way that we're pricing it at this moment, based on the lead, based on the members and followers that we have, uh, is twenty five hundred dollars for a single room up to ninety minutes, seventy five hundred dollars for a day, and twenty five grand for the week. Is that high? Is that low? I don't know. We got to ask, and we'll we'll find out. But I do think that we would be premature to explore or at least entertain any sort of acquisition types of conversations, because as far as I'm concerned, we are very much still the early adopters here. You're hearing my voice now, no matter how you slice it, you're an early adopter. I know everybody has a price, and my grandfather always said, you don't build monuments. Um, So I guess if the right number came along, then perhaps. But the fact of the matter is, as Android comes online, as this opens up, and as all of us as early adopters maintain our enthusiasm and really keep talking about what's going on here on Clubhouse in a very powerful, positive way, I think we're really just beginning to scratch the surface uh, as far as the true value of, uh, of a club is concerned, the number of members and followers. I fully expect, uh, so Habe's club will hit a million by the end of the year, uh, if not more. Uh, and I fully expect it will be over 100,000. So let's see. I totally agree, especially once Android opens up, the floodgates will be open. So, so hey, don't sell out until that happens, I think. <laughs> it's in your best interest, I think. Okay, cool. So um, anybody else here want to talk about the value of a club? Let's go to David and then Ade. Thank you. I just wanted to add to what I think Steve was saying. Um, and I don't know if you guys talked about this, but as far as like analytics, so instead of just based on, you know, how the time length of a room, you know, we, we can track the room so you can maybe charge based on how many listeners. So we're going to have, we're going to guarantee 10,000 listeners and you just keep the room open as long as you can. Right. And, and, and get that many listeners versus, you know, different stats as well. Maybe you can try to go for listen time. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of different metrics that you can really, really use. Just wanted to kind of add that to what he just said. Yeah, 100%. I think all of those metrics make sense. Ade, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, real quick. I'm sorry for taking so much time, but um, there is a, there's another angle that kind of throws a wrench in a lot of the valuations and um, it adds some complexity. And the fact is that one person can be in multiple clubs and they can only be in one room at a time, right? So even though you want to say, this room, this club has 10,000 members. The other one has 20,000. Well, if a lot of the, there's a lot of overlap, well, how do you solve the problem of trying to determine where each person goes at each point? So it adds another wrench. And even though you have a big club, when did your club get big? If it got big in the early days when people got on Clubhouse and many have not come back, well, what does that mean? So it, the overlap problem adds another complexity because 
even though you have this number, well, the number may not be factual because your members, one person could be in 20 different clubs, which means their attention is split. As a result, they're not going to spend as much time probably in your club because they could be in 19 other clubs or 19 other rooms at the same time. So there's all this other stuff that's adding a bit of complexity. So one factor I've seen people see is for each member, they do some analysis on how much time does this member spend in other rooms, right? And they do like a weighting function to say, for this person, if they spend more of their time in, say, human behavior, they're more likely to be counted as a member versus if they spend more time in another club. So that's just another dimension because people are split across multiple clubs. Thanks, Adi. Looks like Steve wants to jump in. Yeah, you know, I'd, l- I'd love to do a little experiment just to kind of follow up on that. I mean, you're making a really great point. I did this with Chris last night in one of the rooms. And, and I'd be really curious for those of you who are on stage right now um, that are club owners, just to give us a sense of what that, that actually looks and feels like in real time. Can you go to your hallway and just do a quick swipe left and see how many in your, in, in your main club uh, are online right now? I'd just be curious because I think it's relevant to the conversation that we're talking about. I just did it. So I'm, I'm just curious because it's a, it's a really great point. Suhey, what, what does it say for you in terms of the amount of users who are online right now? Uh, so it says 1,500. So member, it only shows members and not followers. So if you do the maths, I think we've got about, you could say roughly 25K members. And then the rest of followers, maybe 450K. So if you scale that up, that's about 1,500, uh, 1,515. So about 30,000 people you'd expect to be online. Um, if you take the whole kind of club into account. Yeah. Who who else, Chris? I know you're online right now. Do you have a club, Mario? Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's like 15,000 members total. I guess 15,000 total members do and the, followers um, included. Do, do, do the hallway slide. Go go back to the hallway. 200, the... Two, 240. Okay. Yeah, that's what we're asking. 240 on the hallway slide. That's how many act- members are active right now on the app. Yeah. And what about you, Chris? 5786. And how many total members do you have? Our total like followers and members? We just hit 380K today. So I think it's a good point because I think there's certain clubs that have more active users. And in fact, I have a friend, her name is Lauren Tickner. She's actually a huge influencer on this app. She's 125,000 followers and her club has about 7,000 followers and members in total, but her rooms are always jumping, you know, and cause her following is super, super engaged. So I think the engagement of your following and how you actually attract them to your club and how targeted they are really matters as well. Steve, it looks like you have something to add. Yeah. And it just begs the question as we move forward here, where should people and, and certainly those who are just starting clubs, right? I mean, this is obviously a conversation for everyone here, right? So if you're just starting a club or you haven't started one and are looking to, I think it really does beg the question of where should we be focusing our efforts? The rumor that I heard, and again, I don't have anything substantial. I haven't heard this directly from Paul or Rohan. uh, But what I'm to understand is that as you look to do whatever it is that you're going to do in terms of your club and attracting people to it and, and the more options that are available to you, it looks like and some of the conversations that I've heard are leaning towards people focusing or at least leadership focusing on the clubs that are wanting and having more members as opposed to more followers. And so it's an interesting conversation. Like for us, uh, we, I just ran that number. We were at 1706, I think, in terms of our members online. 
uh, with uh, 52,000 members and followers total. Um, so I believe, and I don't, again, know this to be true, but it'd be an interesting conversation perhaps for another day or Talawood, depending on where you want to take it, uh, in terms of if anyone has any insight around members versus followers. And we are looking actually to move more people from our followership over to membership uh, because we believe that it gives us more opportunity to communicate with them. Yeah, so I think all of these comments recently were were spot on. I'll just throw some more dimensions into this with a couple of things. One is I'm writing a white paper, I think, as I mentioned, on uh, hacking the clubhouse algorithms. You can just go to hackingclubhouse.com to sign up to be notified or just go to mykoji.to slash Dimitri. I have some expertise in this space. Before this, I was in charge of the social graph and part of content ranking on Google+. Plus. Uh, when I was at Google, I was CTO of MySpace Music and did a bunch of work there. I built a YouTube competitor. We did a lot of work on ranking you know, the feed. So I understand these things potentially in some additional dimensions. And what I can tell you is that the number of followers or number of members, these are certainly knobs on performance. But especially as more people come in, much more intelligence is going to have to be added to those ranking algorithms, how the hallway gets ranked, how notifications get pushed out. When there's a lot of opportunities for people to pick one room to join, which room do you suggest they join? This is a very fascinating and and sort of difficult problem to deal with. I'm sure the team is going to do a great job trying to figure that out. But trying to predict what dynamics are going to exist once those algorithm features are put in at this moment is not too valuable because it will be radically skewed from kind of what's happening right now. And so careful about believing that this is long-term strategy and tactics that we're talking about here. We're not. We're talking short-term, what you can do now. Long-term, it's going to be very, very different, especially as all these other competitors come online. And to, I think, Ade's point, we can only be in sort of one place at one time. We can read multiple things. We can have multiple tabs open. We can scroll through feeds quickly. But when we're listening, we're blocked by human voice communication and having the ability to focus on one thing. Amazing. I think these are incredible points. So let's talk about additional podcast features. We talked about the the payment tipping feature that came out, but there's other monetization features that Clubhouse can bring this to. They have mentioned, I think in January, that they were going to launch subscriptions. They've also mentioned ticketing. I want to jump to Mario. Hopefully, Mario, you're free. I know that you had a podcast conference that was very successful earlier this year. I want to understand you know, if you thought about ticketing that event and if that gave you any insight to if, you know, a big event like that could have some profitability using that ticketing method. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, the future of events is forever changed really due to the hybrid nature of where we are and where things have already been indicating, but due to COVID and everything else has kind of accelerated a lot faster. I would say with the audio conference specifically, because that was unique and different and new for everybody, we did that really to not only do something that we wanted to do a value for the community, but we really wanted to treat it like it was a full day, full on conference from like 12 noon to to eight o'clock at night. And what we learned from that was just thousands of minutes, so much data that came back from just getting a sense of the retention and the amount of participation that was there. And I do think that the comments that we were getting, even though it's nuanced comments, although we did do post-event 
surveys. So we did get some real data that we can point back to, whether that's for helping inform us on business decisions to make, branding and marketing, or things like commerce and ticketing as well as sponsorship and stuff like that. And I will say this, that a lot of people did send us DMs that were saying how this was worth money, that this was, some people would actually, when we would ask, we'd say, put a figure on it. Like, what would it be worth to you? And so it ranged everything from, you know, $500 to some people saying it was worth 3000. So it all depends on what their needs were or what was met for them in terms of their priorities and their goals. But the fact is that an audio conference has legs, an audio conference that's programmed and curated has opportunity. And the idea that you could sell ticket sales or to individuals or that you could get brands to be involved to affront the costs or even help you generate a profit, absolutely there. One other thing that we did do that was really interesting, we tested out a photo booth feature. This is something that you typically do in virtual events as well as in physical events, where you take a picture at some kind of backdrop, have a hashtag, you push it out on social, you go track that to see how much impressions that actually reached. And if you do it right, if you pri- if you label it, then you co-brand it with the sponsor or whoever else that maybe is being a part of that branding. So we worked with this company for free to try to see what it would do. It was amazing to just to see the level of not only the engagement, but we thought there were going to be a lot of hoops because it was an audio app that people would have to go and do this thing and then come back. But with the beauty of it being an audio app, you could still engage, you could still listen to what was going on while you were doing something else. So that was really interesting to kind of see that people would actually shoot that picture or take the picture with this photo booth, come back and then change their avatar to that photo booth picture. So it was, I hope that gives us a sense of like how open the opportunity really is. It sounds super exciting. It it sounds like there's so many revenue opportunities on this app and apps like these. So there's also some rumors that Clubhouse is going to roll out some new features to detect abuse. And last time we were talking about bots and bots is a super hot topic when it comes to Clubhouse and how bots are manipulating the platform. I'm wondering what other detection tools for abuse that you think Clubhouse should kind of implement to make sure that, for example, you know, there's no misinformation going out or scam artists, or there's no verbal abuse or anti-Semitism they've been accused of as well. So what do you guys think about these detection features and what's needed? I think uh, even before the features that you mentioned, uh, a lot of people, you know, get moved down to the stage. I've seen crazy things on stages where someone was made a moderator and all of a sudden that person ended the room. So I think accountability on that ahead of anything else is something that I would love to see. I'm part of a lot of different rooms. And I think that, you know, before be moving to global problems like censorship and, and certain things that you just mentioned in terms of anti-Semitism and, and verbal abuse, I think maybe even the basic features of, you know, who's moving people down, who's moderating people and just having that accountability feature would be very useful in my opinion. I totally agree. A lot of people have been complaining about that. Ade, what is your thoughts? <laughs> it's okay. Um, in fact, I would love to hear from other people on this, but also, um, yeah, there's there's quite a few things. And the thing about this app is it's almost every week, it feels like a whole different ecosystem, right? Whole different set of problems, whole different set of drama. There was this camera age. There was the age where people were. There was a lot of nudity. There's just so many things, right? The thing that Pauline just talked about is actually quite very important. I've been, in fact, third-party people are trying to work on this. It's this uh, thing we're calling super mod, right? Where, for example, Hala, with this being your room, 
you should ideally have the most powers on this room. Like none of us here should be able to close the room ideally. So if we were able to delegate certain super mod features to highlight while maybe the other moderators can do more secondary tasks rather than, you know, that would that's something that would be amazing to have. Another thing is being able to handle incidents is faster. Clubhouse is not necessarily the best at handling issues of, you know, abuse, uh, just verbal assault and all kinds of things. That's something that would be critical. The bots are another thing, right? The problem is it's actually very hard. Because this app is ephemeral, you don't have a text that you can just go back to and refer to, right? People have to log the incident. Someone probably has to listen to it and take action. So I do understand some of the issues. However, there's the other side of it, which is on the back end of this whole thing, which is security, which is atrocious right now in Clubhouse. It's just so bad, right? And I don't think they're paying attention because they're focused on growth. This is your standard Silicon Valley, move fast, break things, we'll fix it later type of mentality, right? So as long as you have those security concerns, people can always get in there and do nefarious things. Those are where most of my concerns lie. But uh, other things that can also be done to curate the experience on here is to make sure people are able to sort of customer service, right? You want people to feel like they're having a good experience here and that they feel safe and that if something goes on, someone hears their voices. In this day and age of, you know, cancel culture and so on and so forth, there are many cases where people weaponize Clubhouse, especially the blocking feature. There's this feature on Clubhouse. It's sorry for being long-winded. The blocking feature on this app can technically be used to terraform. I can shape your experience on this app completely by getting the right people to block you. And with that way, you will never see certain people. You'll never see certain rooms because I've shaped your whole hallway, right? Another thing with the blocking feature is if I want to start a rumor about you, for example, I can tell people to block you such that even though we're running a room that's about you, you will have no way to get into that room because people in that room have blocked you. So we can spread all we want. We can say everything we want and you'll never be able to defend yourself. So I think tweaking the blocking feature and making sure it's not as weaponizable is another thing. And with bots, I can mass block and terraform an app. So there's just so many things in that dimension that I wish they would work on. Let's have to Dimitri. This is spot on. Again, I, I hate to sound like a commercial here, but it seems like people would be interested in this. I'm writing a white paper on this. And so it, probably have another month and a half of work to do. But if you want to get notified, just go to hackingclubhouse.com and uh, give me your email address. I'll only send you one email when this thing is ready. But there's so many like interesting things here that, you know, Ade was just talking about. Those are part of it. So anyway, I'm done speaking. So, okay. So we're talking about all these different features that we wish Clubhouse would have. And it turns out that there's this whole industry popping up of third-party tools that are trying to close the gap and missing features. In fact, we have a, a back channel for this group because we had this session last week as well. And, you know, we were sharing a tools list that was like 30 something tools long in terms of all the tools that are rallying around trying to fill these feature gaps for Clubhouse on like third-party applications. So let's talk about some of these apps. I know for myself, we're using DyerCon to track analytics. What are the other third-party apps that you guys are using to support your Clubhouse experience? Is anybody using something else that they want to talk about? Yeah. So, I mean, I used to use monitor.clubhousetools, but it's interesting. I, I just moved over to DyerCon, just kind of see other differences. There's also, I think, 
club pod or something of that nature. And it's interesting. They all have different, you know, metrics and ones that I actually care about. And I've been using Diarcon. And the reason why I like it is because it has the stickiness rate and also the maximum number of people that were in the room at one time, which is kind of like the measure of success that I look at. But also I look at the amount of time listed and the average listening time. And I compare that to my older things. Um, I think the one downside to all these tools though, is that you have to still plug in the URL for each room and it's not automatic. So I'm hoping that uh, Ade, quote unquote, is preparing the next best quote unquote monitoring tools. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, th- those are the two that I use for recording rooms and seeing those metrics. This episode of Yap is sponsored by Koji. Forget everything you know about today's fragmented creator economy. Koji is creator economy 2.0. Powered by their app store for social media, Koji's groundbreaking LinkedIn bio profile introduces a free to customize, free to monetize, BioLink, which everyone is calling Linktree on steroids. Creators can now add hundreds of powerful mini apps to their Koji profile or any social media link in bio tool to experience the next generation of fan engagement and monetization. Head to withkoji.com, that's withkoji.com, and personalize your link in bio to fit your unique style by editing colors, text, layout, HD video backgrounds, links, buttons, all for free. There's no monthly pro level fees or whatever. That's right. It's totally free. Next, supercharge your link in bio with customizable mini apps called Kojis from the Koji template store. Monetize in minutes with the tip jar, which by the way, in this event that I was recording that you're listening to in part two, I made $300 with the tip jar and I didn't even solicit for it. You can put video requests or sell downloadable files on Koji. You can collect thousands of emails with the Koji email collector or allow fans to read exclusive articles in exchange for an email. I personally use the Koji tip jar, the email collector and their podcast Koji. Just check out my Instagram link in bio to see how I'm using this amazing tool. And guys, they've literally got hundreds of mini apps that you can plug into your Koji profile. You can even plug them into your existing link in bio tools to extend their functionality better as well. And better yet, do you have a link tree? Well, Koji has a one click link tree import button that's going to grab all your links in seconds so you don't even have to go through the migration of copying and pasting everything. It is so easy. In fact, it took me about 10 minutes to set up my new Koji profile because I just imported my link tree and got it set up. And now I can monetize straight from Instagram. Nobody even has to leave the Instagram page. It is revolutionary. I'm personally using Koji and I'm not going back to Linktree. So take it from me. I've never seen anything like it. Head to withkoji.com. That's with K-O-J-I.com and claim your link now. Take a second, open up your account now and show them some love for being good friends of the Young and Profiting show. That's withkoji.com with K-O-J-I.com. So let's talk about drop-in audio and the future. Clubhouse has had an incredible year. It launched during the pandemic. It has more than 12 million downloads as of today. It's iOS only, still has not been opened up to Android. And now every single social media platform wants to copy it. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Discord, Spotify, Mark Cuban, and Slack, they've all launched or are working on launching their own versions of this social media audio app. And so I want to know what you guys think Clubhouse has to do to 
stay the market leader. Who wants to kick this off in terms of what Clubhouse has to do to stay the market leader? Let's go to Suheib and then Ade. Hey, Hala. So I always get invited to quite a few beta apps and I was trying quite a few in April and May before I got into Clubhouse in August. And one of the ones was Road Trip by Matt Mazzio in Silicon Valley. It's essentially just like Clubhouse, except it's music orientated. It's linked to Spotify. It's like the same way you can have conversations here. You have a speaker box and an audience and you just jump to music. Um, it's actually pretty fun, but it hasn't taken off with a lot of people. And I guess there is a few glitches and now they kind of got out of their beta and they're on the public app store. And now I guess Facebook is trying to copy this. Twitter Spaces there. You've got Fireside. Quite a few others. But I think... What leads to Clubhouse's success is that social graph at the start. I mean, when I joined, access to a lot of Silicon Valley was a lot of value to me, someone who wanted to kind of was very interested in tech and AI and involved. So um, I guess that exclusivity access at the start really helped with the initial growth. And then you had this quality of rooms and then the discoverability you go through the hallway and you meet people serendipitously. And that kind of, I guess, curiosity of the human desire helps you stay on the app at times. Whereas I guess on some of the other apps like Twitter Spaces, it's limited to your existing network who you may or may not know, but the rooms are pretty small. It's not the same. It just feels like a bit of a group hangout. I mean, I've got Twitter Spaces and I've been on it like twice. I have no incentive to be on there. So this whole format for kind of, I guess, dissemination of information helps me on Clubhouse stay on because I can be on stage and share so much information that I'm passionate about and connect with people who are relevant to me. So I think that's what kind of puts it apart. Now these other apps, if they replicate Clubhouse, it'll be interesting to see because I see Instagram will be the most powerful because if you already have a large following on Instagram and you can pop into audio rooms, that'd be interesting on how you can interact with with your following. But I know Instagram does have video rooms and none of my friends use it and all the people I know really use that feature. So it's interesting when you kind of put too many features in, in places like Twitter stories or LinkedIn stories, how relevant is it? I think it's a lot easier when an app is known for one dimension because then you know exactly what you're getting when you go on the app. 100%. Let's go to Ade and then Steve. Yes, this is a good one. Um, we we studied this when we got on the app as to why this app works. Um, first of all, like Tohib said, and he's made a lot of great points, it's the initial people who started it, right? These are people with networks, with connections, and they were also, there's the part of the Elon effect, right? That was huge. So besides the Elon effect, they have these huge, massive things they do where they try to like onboard mass amounts of people, create a lot of hype. There was Zuckerberg, there was Bill Gates. And these are because these people are well-connected. I don't think a lot of, even though there are already existing apps that can pull it off, these folks here leverage the fact that, you know, people create the hype for them. The other side is, and people don't pay attention to this, Clubhouse, people were, it felt like they were part of the culture, Right. And there's a thing, there's the, there's there's a feeling that you get from the founders coming on daily and telling you, hey, this is what we're doing, this is where we're at, this is our struggles. It creates a psychological feeling of, oh yeah, they care. And then you go tell your friends. So there's that audio effect that they've been able to leverage and they keep things very simple. So being able to feel like you're close to the founders, like you're close to the people making these decisions, even when in many cases you're not. It helps people create that hype and helps people, you know, talk about it. The other side is the FOMO, right? The, that's part of the success of the app. And I would say overall, it's the fact that they've been able to sort of create cultures and people have been able to feel like they were part of shaping the app. A lot of us before coming to Clubhouse did not have social media following. Like we didn't even care. This sort of gave us that way to find our voice. And it's been part of the success Clubhouse has its own culture compared to Twitter. When you go on Twitter, you have to code switch, 
When you go on Instagram, you code switch. It's a whole different vibe. Here, people feel like they found their own way of being just themselves. Whether or not it's genuine or authentic, it's a way for them to express themselves. Awesome. Does anybody else want to speak on this topic? Steve, let's go to you. Hey, yeah. So um, there's always something to be said for first mover advantage, right? And some can say, hey, Clubhouse didn't have the first mover advantage. They weren't the first ones to do this. Okay, that's fine. We can make that argument. But in terms of critical mass, or at least in terms of some degree of acceptance, it's kind of hard to argue whether or not there's been first mover advantage here. So that's that's number one, which makes anyone else who comes to the table next eh, a copycat, right? I mean, if you look at Twitter spaces, it's pretty much a, a, a carbon blueprint of, of what they're doing here in terms of the UI, right? I mean, it's just, it, it looks identical. It feels identical. And so it's going to come across as, as a copycat. Now, is there a time and a place for that sort of platform in terms of on Twitter or on IG or Facebook or something? Probably. I mean, they have built-in audiences. It's kind of hard to argue with that. But there's definitely something very organic and something very magical that's that's going on here. And it does have its own culture, for better or for worse. It's it's a culture that is very different than you find on any other platform. So let's look at what the other competitors are doing. I mean, certainly when you look at Clubhouse, they are going after and they will achieve, I believe, some degree of critical mass. Does it compete with podcasting as an example? Is that the true competitor to this? Um, Probably not. I mean, I think that podcasting is going to always have its place from an evergreen perspective. This is not an evergreen channel, even if you're going to add recordings to this or something to be said. Like if I want to hear from like Mario as, as an example here, you're getting 10 minutes of Mario on a 90 minute or maybe even not even 10 minutes, you know, maybe getting four minutes of Mario on a 90 minute session that we're doing here. If you really want to hear Mario, you're going to go to hear his, his show where it's Mario, 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 right? I mean, like that's what you're tuning in for is that particular person. So I don't see podcasting being a, a true competitor to this. And if you look at something like Fireside, which I believe has a very group, I think they have a, just a beautiful niche that they're carving out for themselves and what it is that they're doing. And they're looking at that in terms of the future of podcasting. And it's certainly a competitor to what's going on here on many, many fronts. My take on, on Fireside is that they're going after what I would call curated mass. And I think they're going to be very, very good at captivating and capturing the curated mass in the way that they're going about it. So at the end of the day, in the same way that the movie theater you know, wasn't killed by the VCR, in the same way that AM and FM wasn't killed by satellite, you're just simply getting more attention on the medium, on the platform of audio. And at the end of the day, I believe that all, all can survive, but you're going to have a clear-cut winner. Uh, and I, I don't see that being anyone other than Clubhouse, but I've been wrong many times before. Yeah, and I think something to just add to your point is like, look at what happened to Snapchat stories, right? All the other apps decided that they would have a social media, a stories feature, and that app kind of lost a lot of its popularity. So I guess that's my biggest worry with Clubhouse is that all these apps are going to launch similar features that have much larger user bases. And it just takes one of those apps. So Instagram and the spot and the Snapchat example was the app that really did it right and kind of you know, ruin Snapchat for a lack of better words. If, for example, if LinkedIn does it really well, there's a lot of LinkedIn users on this app and there's a lot of people who are on LinkedIn that like this type of discussion and conversation. It could really blow up, for example, on that platform. So any thoughts on that in terms of one of these bigger apps who have a larger user base kind of doing it right? Christian, let's go to you. 
Yeah, for me, working mostly in the tech space and on the LinkedIn space as well, I'm kind of curious to see how this is all going to get rolled out. Like, I don't know if it's going to be the same vibe as here as Clubhouse, where you know I could easily go from an entertainment room to a very like, hey, this is how to do an interview, right? Um, so I'm excited about it. Um, I've been growing out my LinkedIn following, and then Hala, I know you were there for when I was able to interview for the new uh, LinkedIn um, Creator Mode, and you know, seeing how this is going to roll out, they already have a built-in audience. I mean, I'm hoping this is not going to be like a Google Plus kind of thing, where oh yeah, they have a, a whole bunch of users, but did people really use it? So we'll see. We'll see how it, it runs through. But I would say right now with monetization, you know, they rolled out their first piece. I'm pretty sure everybody got a shock yesterday. And kind of my prediction, I think Clubhouse is going to come out on top. Just the way that, again, the community is so deep here. So I know that when LinkedIn comes out, though, it's going to be an interesting move. I'm definitely going to be checking it out. So this is Christian. I'm done speaking. Awesome. Dimitri, it looks like you had something to add. <clears throat> is it rude to be using a service and, and questioning and being the naysayer? So I love Clubhouse. And I think there is a culture etiquette vibe that's so important and at this moment unique but from a sort of technology standpoint this isn't very overly sophisticated most of this is built from third-party tools anyway meaning it can be rebuilt by many people in many different ways and our attention can only be in one place and so you know there are many different factors that will determine where we spend our time by the way when i say we it's not like we the world, right? The whole point of this is we're all breaking up into these little rooms and we're focusing our attention in these small rooms. And so this might be fragmented across many different networks. Now to Clubhouse, that's an issue, but to us creators, that should not be an issue because we will always find nice little digital spaces, comfy and with the right vibe to spend our time in. And so it's good news for, for consumers and creators, you know, questionable for companies that are competing in this space, how to really be able to sort of keep a massive audience on their platform. Thanks, Dimitri. So we were just talking about the different threats. I think one of the threats that we didn't talk about is the fact that there's some major podcasters like Joe Rogan, for example, who is exclusive to Spotify. So for me, I think that there's also a risk that a lot of these talents, these big podcasting talents might be exclusive to like Spotify's drop an audio app once they launch. And so I feel like that's also a threat. But we talked a lot about threats. Let's move on to advantages. What's going positively for Clubhouse in terms of them staying the market leader in this space? What do you guys think is working for them in terms of, uh, you know, users staying on this app? Let's go to Ash first. Oh, yeah, sure. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And um, I do give my consent to being recorded. Uh, I feel the, the number one advantage they have is, uh, in my opinion, is clearly their first to market when it comes to this platform and catching on in this way. And if you look at the history of those who are first in the market, they tend to do really well. And technology makes it a little unique in that if they find themselves in a cash flow issue or not being able to raise money, which that's not been the problem that Clubhouse has had, they've raised a lot of money and their valuation continues to go up. So I think that that is their number one advantage that I see as being first to market. Alicia or Maddie J, any of the new mods want to add to this? Yeah. Hey, it's Alicia. I just, um, thanks for having me, Hala. I really appreciate it. 
I just want to second that. And we've talked about that just briefly up here, but um, first market, and they really went into uh, the entertainers and they just were able to bring some huge personalities that everyone follows mainstream. And I think that they've just really infiltrated the masses. And and then it's almost as if they went after the marketing community. So the way that they weaved and and they didn't just go first to market, but who they picked up to plant as their base, I think it's just really, it's just really giving them a huge advantage uh, to where they'll be able to stay put. Dimitri, did you want to add? Yeah, again, I'll, I'll, I'll be dissenting voice here. None of those folks that are using Clubhouse now that are sort of important people are exclusive to Clubhouse. And so as new platforms show up, those people will wander around, might be lured to other platforms with other types of deals. And so this is just a a room that is valuable right now because we've all chosen to show up here and pay attention to this. There are many other opportunities that we will soon have of places that feel similar to this. We'll have same people, different people, sometimes more important people, And it's all going to be a function of, you know, sort of who does a better job of providing to us the opportunity and sort of saying, you've got an opportunity to do this, this, and this, and and who's going to do a better job of sort of getting us to say, I will now choose this thing here and go there and spend my time. And that's going to be a really, again, very interesting and very hard sort of problem that will continue to evolve for these competitors in this space. Yeah. And something else that's pretty interesting in terms of Clubhouse and their advantages is that there's apps like Slack. They made their announcement about their copycat product on Clubhouse. So all of these different apps, even LinkedIn, like they've done rooms on this app. They're talking about their product launches on this app, which is just so strange that they're doing that. It just goes to show how popular and how this has become like a way that people get their news. And speak, I know that, uh, you know, we were just mentioning other platforms and kind of threats. We were in the back channel and Ade brought up a really interesting platform from China. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure people have heard about this too, right? So um, Clubhouse, like Dimitri was saying, is from an engineering standpoint, actually extremely easy to make. It's an extremely simple platform. The, the app, it's not that much of an engineering challenge. The main heavy lifting, like all the audio shenanigans, is actually happening behind the scenes by a third-party platform called Agora, right, which is in China. And that is where there's been a lot of questions. It's like, well, if it's in China, well, does the CCP have access to all the data that all of what we're talking about? You know, so it raises a lot of national security concerns of all the conversations happening on here. What does that actually mean for you to live in China, right? Can the CCP, which is the Chinese Communist Party, choose to commandeer that at any time? You know, is there like privacy concerns? Like, so there's just so many things that can, you know, that can come out of that now. Ideally, it would be it would behoove Clubhouse to move that over to some US-based company or another company in the Western world. And that could be something that could cause problems for them in the future because there have been certain security uh, issues and privacy concerns on Clubhouse in the past few months, for those who are familiar, there was a time when someone basically was able to get all people to peek into any room through a website. Um, there's also cases where people can uh, sort of, if they want, come in there, uh, a room and get access to it. But Agora is a very big, it's sort of a big problem because we really don't know where all the stuff we're saying 
who really has access to it beyond just the company. And this is similar to the whole um, TikTok thing, right? Where it was like, okay, it goes through China, but what does that mean? So it's something I think people should look out for. It may or may not cause problems in the future. I think that's an incredible point in terms of all the threats. Anybody else want to add to either the threats or the advantages of Clubhouse right now in terms of maintaining its spot as a market leader for drop-in audio? I'll just say that, you know, I'll echo, this is Tony uh, down at the bottom. I'll say uh, what some have already said as well, that, you know, first mover advantage, I think was really great here. It was, it was a uh, innovation sparked by necessity, right? Cause we needed another outlet. Uh, the other ones are just, I guess we'll call them too controlled for right now. And the gatekeepers on all the other ones were made, made it impossible. If you were a, a, a latecomer to the app, then you didn't have an impact. This one, you got to come in early and it has a stickiness factor to it because of the big names that are coming on here, the people that are able to communicate and get into all these rooms and everything else. So I think in the very beginning, this was this was amazing. And it, I think it's still an amazing app. I feel very comfortable here and being able to communicate and connect with people. Again, there are going to be others. There's already a lot of copycats that are out there coming out with their own, their own product. I think that this one's still going to reign supreme for a while. I mean, of course, you know, there's no way of really knowing. And there's also a lot of people in the world, right? There's a lot of people that haven't been on Clubhouse yet. Android hasn't even, I hear rumor has it that Android is going to go online in May, but I I don't know how accurate that is. So there's so many more people in the world than are on this app. We only have, there's only 12 million people. That's a very small number of people. So of course, it's going to keep growing, certainly when, when Android users come online, it's going to explode, and there's going to be other 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 uh, uh, competitors that are going to come on. So we'll see what happens. But right now, this is my favorite social media app, uh, just because I'm able to reach more people without the algorithm squeezing you down to how many people you can get access to before paying for ads and everything else. So that's not happening here yet, even though I know that the algorithm is already keeping some rooms or some people in the hallways a lot more than others. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but that'll, that'll have a lot to do with, uh, with its success and what's happening. So we'll see. Yeah, totally. And I think you brought up a really good point in terms of culture and the fact that, you know, Clubhouse has fostered this amazing culture that's open and warm. And a lot of these other apps like Instagram and Twitter, like they don't have those same feelings. And and so somebody else brought that up earlier. And I think that's a really great point. And I think that's a really great advantage for Clubhouse because they do have this amazing culture. Does anybody want to add to that? Yeah, I, I want to yeah. say also... Um, one of the one of the major things is we've spent months on this platform already as beta testers. So Clubhouse, no matter who else comes up with one, will always be in front of them with the hiccups. All these other apps still have to go through the hiccups. And I think that's going to keep Clubhouse in front as long as they continue to innovate, add new features and do different things. Um, and then the agility of Clubhouse is another part. They don't have any heavy lifting. Like when you think about all of the posting and the all the information that's kept on all the all those other sites clubhouse is able to move you know what i mean if you if you think about it from the aspect of you can't save any material here you can't uh you know you can't dm on here so to speak you can't post pictures you can't do all those other things that those other apps are known for doing so you come here it's almost like you know if you live in atlanta there are a lot of dope restaurants here and you can literally go to certain restaurants for certain tastes and here 
this is the taste that you're going to get. Even though they're trying to do it on other ones, this is the better taste of that feature. And so you're going to always have, um, they're always going to have that advantage over everybody else because again, we've, I mean, we're steadily working through the kinks and they don't, I, I think the biggest point I said was they don't have to carry anything. Instagram has the photos, videos, and all these different features that distract you. Um, Clubhouse is pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of distraction here. Um, it is what it is. It's not trying to be anything other than what it is. It's uh, adding these features like monetization. I'm sure the next thing is ramping up how the clubs are integrated and bringing special features for the clubs to uh, really, really make it even more exclusive. The onboarding of the Android people um, when the app has it's going to recycle itself because the, the information that I communicate on this platform about social digital currency, it's an ongoing teaching method that has to continue. Every group that comes in, every group that comes in, every group that comes in has to learn the process of how to move around on this platform. We got like a year to at least a, a year and a half of continuously onboarding new people and teaching and, and uh, grooming and helping them understand how this works and how they can, you know, find their place and their space in it. So uh, the longevity of it, uh, at least for the next two years, depending on what else they plan to do feature wise to really, really ramp it up. I mean, we got at least two years of it leading the pack in uh, audio conversation. Let's jump to Alicia and then Mario. Yeah, absolutely. I'd just like to add just a tiny bit to what Scrap had just said, um, talking about teaching when people are coming on. I, I recall when I came on in December, um, we were here for a few weeks, just understanding that this was a whole new thing. It was suddenly, like everyone has mentioned, just a completely different animal. Everybody is collaborating. Everybody is lifting each other up and um, celebrating the fact that we can all work together. It's not the competition like Facebook or Instagram. And as new people came in and they did not know that yet, they would pop up on stage and they would pop up on someone's stage and start to sell their thing or promote themselves or, or somehow say, Hey, go check out my Instagram or this, that, and the other. And it was just, it was something that they had to learn and they had to start to understand, but that is going to be a continual thing as new people come on. And as new people start to as they see the app every single day, that is something that will always continue. So I absolutely re agree with exactly what Scrap had said. You know, how, if I if I may add something here, you know, one of the things I think we're not looking at is that there is room for other audio apps. There is a lot of room for other audio apps as... I think I look at this from a perspective of it's a medium, not so much a, a product. And when you look at it from a perspective of a medium, it's like you can have multiple channels where they'll have their own culture and their own content creators that are going to be attracted to it. And so I look at it from that perspective and I think Clubhouse will find its place in that. And so will other mediums. Like for Spotify, I think they're going to attract a lot of artists, a lot of musicians, and that collaboration will look very different than what their contribution may be on Clubhouse. And uh, this is Ash, and those are just some thoughts, and I'm done speaking. Awesome. Ade, did you want to add, or you're just clapping? Both, both. Uh, real quick to that, this is Ade. Um, I like what Ash just said. I don't think we should see it as there's going to be one winner. We do have multiple social media platforms for a reason, right? And I think each one will just satisfy different needs. Right. I think Clubhouse will evolve into something else. And I think with LinkedIn coming out with their own audio thing, Clubhouse right now has some cool stuff for networking and career stuff, but it's still very much limited. So I think certain people would 
would find different niches. What Clubhouse has done, though, is validate that people want this stuff. People like this stuff. People enjoy this stuff. And then it just opens up the playing field to go, no, everybody and their mama, go build your own. Go play with it. Make mistakes. Let's see where it goes. So I think there's just going to be a plethora and some are going to succeed. Some are going to fail. Maybe Clubhouse won't fix. Won't, we don't know. But I just think like there will be a lot more of this stuff. In fact, I personally am working on not my own tool, but experimenting with Clubhouse. Me and some friends got together and said, wait a minute. What if we could use our Apple Watch, right, to mute and unmute, right? Instead of, so if I'm going for a run and I want to speak or I want to listen or go through rooms, what if I could integrate this with my Apple Watch, right? And that way, now Clubhouse doesn't officially support this, but any engineer that's bold enough can figure this out to find a way to control this app through the Apple Watch. Or maybe with my AirPods, if I push the button, maybe that can mute, maybe I can cycle. So there's just so many things people can do. And I think this is just the beginning. Now, it may or may not happen on Clubhouse, but things are going to happen with social audio either way. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And I, I think you you made a great point in terms of the fact that some of these audio apps or features within these larger social media apps, they might have like topical purposes, like LinkedIn might be more about jobs. And I could imagine Spotify could be more about like artists and musicians kind of speaking to each other. So it could just be like really topical based. Clubhouse is very marketing focused, entrepreneurial focused. Um, so, so maybe there's something there. I think that's really interesting. Mario, what are your thoughts in terms of the culture of this app and how that's an advantage for Clubhouse? Yeah, that's a great point that you just bring up too, because when you look at all other social networks for a certain, they really were built for a certain audience, Instagram for photographers, you can go on and on. And so one of the things though, that I'm not hearing, and I just want to kind of put not a damper on it, but just to kind of maybe just a little dose of a thought here, Periscope. Periscope had a big community. I remember going to Periscope conferences physical conferences that were done early on. I remember being involved in beta stuff there. I remember the community and all the love and all the things that we're talking about emotional here that are true. And then it got bought by Twitter. And then when it got bought by Twitter, the community, the culture, the whole thing pretty much died. Some would say it got integrated, whatever. The Periscope community, as we knew it, died. And so I just want to kind of bring that up that None of us are in control of any of this stuff. And kind of like to Dimitri's points earlier, you know, it's like, let's just make sure that you're also building something. If you're going to spend a lot of time on someone else's app, helping them build, make sure that there's some goal or some end result for you. And that doesn't have to be monetized. It could just mean you want to connect with people now because you can, and then have those in real life meetings or have those DM conversations, or get them to become a member of your, your club off the app that has some other value. Don't have this moment where we do have all of these people that are coming from a pandemic, don't want to be on Zoom. You got to remember, there are like a lot of subtle things that made this app work at this time. Okay, the pandemic, number one, not being on another damn video call, number two. Nobody's got to grab a mirror. No one has to put on clothes. So there were a lot, it's a Christmas and and the holiday season and like a lot of things took place for variables. So I just want to 
not say that this is, I'm enjoying this culture. I love this culture, but I'm also being very intentional to try to make connections with people that can move off of this app. And I think that's at the end of the day, what I'm trying to stress. If I could jump on that, I think that's probably the most important point I've heard made this whole time. We've all been making lots of awesome, you know, dropping good wisdom here, but that is so important. The thing that all of us need to remember is all of these connections that we're making, if we're just following each other on this app, that's just yet another social graph. Then we have all these other social graphs that we use and spend our time on and are biased by. And so this is yet some additional relationships to manage. And this could go away at any moment. You need to make sure that you're either connected with each other on these other social networks also, or even better, that everyone sort of has an email list. Like here are people that I think are important and who think I'm important. And that when I speak, I can speak globally across all of these networks. And no matter where it is that that you're sort of connected to me, I can reach you. Because if you're not sort of building an email list, I think that that's a huge sort of opportunity lost, especially here. By the way, again, if you go to my Koji, Koji, K-O-J-I dot T-O slash Dimitri, you can see there that I, you know, I've got this newsletter thing. That's specifically what that is. If you like some of the stuff I'm dropping, that's the place to subscribe to me, not here or sort of anywhere else. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that They can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, 100%. So I know Mario brought up the fact that the success of this app was really a perfect storm. It was the holidays. It was the pandemic. We were all missing people. We just really wanted social life. There was nowhere to really talk to anyone, just see pictures. And nobody was even doing anything exciting to take pictures about, right? So all we had was our voices and our stories. And I feel like it really hit home on like a true human element, which is we love stories, right? And we love kind of talking to each other and it, and it worked. 
But now the pandemic is, you know, slowly waning. People are starting to get vaccinated. I know so much, I've gotten vaccinated myself. I'm sure a lot of you guys on stage have started to get vaccinated and this might go away. So how do you guys think that the, the end of the pandemic or the slowing down of the pandemic, how do you think it's going to affect this app? Because I think, you know, we were talking last time, some people are spending 40 to 80 hours a week on that app. Once real life opens up, do you think people are going to want to stay talking to each other on their phones or are they going to want to? go to real life events. What do you guys think about that? Flash your mic if you want to talk about that. Let's go to Christian and then Scrap and then Dimitri. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of excited to go back to the workforce and sit at a desk. When I first started at PlayStation, I started remote and you know, like the sense of community is just not there. So I can't wait to see the office. I can't wait to talk to my colleagues. Um, I, you know, I got my next immunization shot coming up next week. So I'm, I'm excited for that. But as far as that, like, I don't know how much clubhousing I'll be able to do when I'm actually working in the actual workplace, right? I think there's a lot of uh, flexibility right now. Uh, <laughs> I see everybody flashing their mics. Um, and so with that being said, I'm not too sure, but I've also heard people that are already working their jobs and they come in here at night. And I think that's something that I could definitely do. Like usually, cause I work in LA, so there's a lot of traffic. So maybe like after work, I'll just, you know, bring my AirPods or something or my headset and just start talking and, and kill time. I think it's going to be the app that I just kill so much time on. And I, I love it. I went to the car wash and I was just able to go in there and listen to something awesome and then just be there. So this is Christian and I'm done speaking. Thank you. Let's go to Scrap, then Dimitri and Mario. Yeah, I, I was going to um, just kind of continue with like, this is going to be your podcast, right? This is going to be um, where you you know, you jog and you listen to the app, even if you're not speaking on it. I've done this several times. Um, it's just been that I'm listening in. And if I, and if there's something important, which I think a day, I would love for you guys to create that Apple watch or that AirPod unmute button or whatever, because that's going to be the dopest shit ever. Cause I would love to be running and not have to physically stop. And then, uh, you know, have a conversation versus I could unmute and, and kind of continue and have the conversation without holding the phone in my head or any of that kind of stuff or communicate that way. I think that's dope. But like Maddie said, I think that because we are forging real relationships that happen in person during those times and, and work and, and uh, spending time with family and all those different things, that part of it already is, uh, is you know, if you're smart or, or if you've been using the app correctly, you've already kind of balanced out your time. You said, listen, for me, I don't schedule a room on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, I, I kind of just pop in rooms on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then if I'm going to you know, my hosting nights are Wednesday, Friday, and maybe Saturday. And then if I got a special guest like Tiffany or somebody, uh, it'll be a Sunday night big event. But other than that, you definitely have to already start integrating a schedule that you can, if you're going to be hosting rooms, but uh, have a schedule that you can adhere to because there is an expectancy for people to see you on the app. I realize, like, you know, it, people people actually want to see you every day because a majority of people are entrepreneurs. A majority of the people on this app are working from home. And I think there's going to be a slight adjustment. Some people are getting back into the workforce right now. And you're seeing, you're seeing it kind of lean out a little bit and the division of the, the clubs and having so many different clubs and things like that is also lending its hand to uh, you know the culture of the app. So with that in mind, I think that as we move forward, if people are going to continue on this app when things open up, uh, you would already be, you're going to be behind if you're not putting uh, those things in place now. 
And I would advise everybody to do that. Like put your schedule together right now and start operating that way. And you can be consistent because what we know, success with anything that we do takes consistency. Yeah, 100%. And you made me smile because in part one, I had mentioned that one of the reasons why I quit my full-time job was because of Clubhouse. And I'm a full-time entrepreneur now and I'm smiling because I'm like, yes, I kind of have an advantage, right? I kind of have an advantage that I get to control my own schedule. And a lot of the entrepreneurs on the app, I think are going to be the ones spending more time with the ability of us not having to be you know, glued to our desks at work. So let's kick it over to Mario, then Dimitri, then at it, guys. This is actually the last question of the night. So anybody who wants to get their final thoughts in, let's do it. Let's go to Mario, Dimitri, and then Ade. Well, you know what, Hala, I think you really just hit on it. It's it's the fact that, you know, I think this app is going to find its user base because I just know a lot of people have been having to actually work to generate an income, focus on developing revenue for their businesses and products and projects. And, you know, you have a lot of people that were on the app during that perfect storm that have now kind of fallen back because they've had to actually produce. And so I think entrepreneurs and people that do work from home or people that have flexible schedules will definitely continue to be people that are that will be on the app. And that may become something that's very unique about it. The other thing that we haven't really brought up that may be something that still has remains to be seen in other social platforms that could work, but that is live news. And that is the ability to be able to aggregate live audio from the field, which is really unique and different because of how, you know, reporting can happen. If you think of uh, NPR, you think of, think of any of your, your favorite radio broadcasts, like from back in the day, like the idea that you could be able to get some of that from a, a different perspective might be something. And I do think that we will also see more formalization of really formatted content. So real on production of real on shows. And I think a lot of that's already taking place. We're starting to see a lot of examples. You can look at Leah and, and the comedy uh, thing that she was doing and a bunch of other things that people have been doing. I know Scrap and others, a bunch of people have been do- doing some amazing stuff on the app. So it's like, there's going to become a point where they get the branding right, they get the monetization right, and they understand exactly who the audience is that's going to be listening. And then the formats are going to start coming. So the game shows and everything that everyone's been toying around with will actually start to get more real structure. And it'll start feeling like more like a real production. And when that happens, real money, real audiences, real metrics, and all of those things could happen on this app. I I also just want to add to that is Fireside and apps like that, they're leading with that first, like very curated kind of content that is more like shows. And then they have the ability to record and then distribute that to podcasts. So I think that that's also a trajectory for this app and other apps like it, actually being able to record, distribute, and potentially replay in app the content that that you do. So right now I'm using a Rodecaster Pro and all this external hardware to record this for my podcast. But in the future, I imagine that that's going to be an in-app feature. So let's go to Dimitri and then Ade. Anybody else who wants to have some closing thoughts, raise your hand. Let's hear about your thoughts about the pandemic waning down and how that's going to impact Clubhouse. Actually, you made me change my question now that you mentioned this tip jar. (laughs) So, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but might you be able to tell us, you know, how you're doing on your tip jar? Because you just implemented it, I think, oh my before gosh. this broadcast. I'm going to pu- pull up my messages right now. 
And this is not, to, it's just interesting. It was kind of like an experiment because even before I opened up this room, I was getting tips because I've been moderating rooms all that I always just give my value for free. And everybody always says, how can I pay you? And I always say, there's no need to pay. There's no way to pay. But like, you know, crazy that there's that many people who want to use that feature. And, you know, I don't even know who they are. It's, I have to dig into it and say, thank you and figure out where I'm going to put this money into a good cause. But it's just so interesting. Did you? Have- yeah, go ahead. When it's interesting, um, I used to do, so I, my conversation on Clubhouse is uh, I speak about social digital currency, but I break it down to digital currency or actual currency and then social currency. But in some rooms early on, and it's funny, man, that the, the way monetization is set up now in December, um, because, you know, mods were holding these rooms for like 12 hours, like mods were literally living on this app. I started introducing, um, uh, donating to your mod. So I was saying, listen, you don't have to, I know people out here want to do more than spend their social digital currency. I know you want to, you know, you want to bless your, uh, your mods who've been staying with you for 12 hours, listening to your questions, answering your questions or whatnot. And you can, uh, what I say, you can convert your social digital currency into actual currency by buying them lunch or by buying them dinner. And you'd be surprised how many people were sending $5, $20 to these mods. And at one point, I don't know what this person was saying in this room, but it was, I, it was, it was crazy that I think they said he got like that, that people donated to him roughly about $1,500 for the time that he spent educating them on uh, music and uh, radio. And, and he's, he's a real resource. Don't get me wrong. Like he's knowledgeable as I don't know what, I just don't know what he said um, after I, um, you know, before I got there and before I mentioned the conversation about actually being a blessing to the people who are really, really taking time out of their day to do this. But I knew even then from seeing the results of how people were spending their uh, actual currency outside of follows and likes and turning on notifications, all those things, they were very active. I, I, and I think that that's the culture of this app is people want to be a part of what you're doing even more so than the, you know, just listening. They want to interact in such a way that this monetization feature is exactly for that reason. If I'm not, you know, for when I think about it, I think about it like somebody's going to buy you coffee, holla when you host a room for, uh, you know, for an amount of time or you drop a, a, a bunch of gems or you get these select moderators inside the room and you curate these rooms. That's what that is. And yeah, you know, of course, a lot of us don't need it. So we'll resource, you know, source it out some kind of charity or do something else. But it's just the thought that they feel like they've invested their time and they, they look at you with value. And the only way that outside of spending social digital currency, they can value you by uh, spending actual currency. And of course, like you said, when you go back and you reach out to those people, their social currency goes up with you as well. Yeah. And I think that especially if you're a creator that never really asks of anything from your audience. So for me, I host podcast office hours, two hours a week. I'm just 
data dumping my brain to everyone, giving everybody all my secrets in terms of how I grew to a top podcast. And so I feel like when you do stuff like that and kind of give back with not asking anything return, that's when people really feel like they owe you something, right? And so I feel like that's why all of a sudden I turned it on and I got so many people tipping me even before I started a room. I think people like, you know, they clamor for that kind of stuff if you've been providing value for a long time. So Ade, curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, um, back to the main uh, topic of um, what will happen when we reopen. That's kind of what I wanted to address. I think it'll definitely, um, it'll slow down for a bit uh, per person. And then it may come back up as they work better. And this is not just Clubhouse, this is social audio in general, as they make better ways to navigate the app. And like I said, like all the other stuff, like your AirPods. And that's like a (laughs) no-brainer. I would expect them to build that out, right? Uh, There's just natural... But uh, what, what, what people are not paying attention to is the fact that the Clubhouse is actually running live 24-7 because when you're asleep, someone else is awake. So when you come back from work, right, there's always something for you. If you're in your car, you can listen to something across. Like I run a show called Outside Silicon Valley where we talk about startup ecosystems in other, con- other parts of the world. When I'm leaving work, they're alive. And like, you know, making all the noise in the world. So there's always something such that even though you you don't have to step out of your work to get entertainment, it's always going to be on when you're driving, whatever. And for those of us who happen to be privileged enough to work from home, which now that even after COVID, I'm most likely going to be a remote, it's, <laughs> I can still be on Clubhouse, right? So there's just all these things that are going to make it uh, work in a certain direction. Another part to it is also, the fact that Clubhouse is going to spawn its own kinds of creatives, right? Like I said, people here feel like they found their voice. I was never a social media guy. I, In fact, Clubhouse is the reason I made a Twitter account. It's also the reason I actually started posting on Instagram. But on here, I can do something and people, I, I've gotten people jobs off of Clubhouse just by telling them what to do. So it's going to create its own new brand of creatives, its own new styles. I've seen people do all kinds of shows, activities. So those people are not going anywhere because while those people exist and the people who enjoy their content exist, you know, there'll always be a niche now. Are we going to be spending 12, 13 hours straight on the app? Probably not. But by time they get the numbers, like all the Android folks come on to Clubhouse, money is money, right? Activity is activity, still going to be the same. And the final thing I would say is with all the stuff going on this way, it's also important to understand we really, 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 really don't know, right, where the stuff is going to go. We really don't know if, you know, like someone said with Periscope, there's that huge momentum and then things fall apart. No one really knows. Like I would, I would love to say, you know, this will work out. And also the fact that no one has mentioned this, there's talks of them being valued at 4 billion now. Now this is a, an app that's in beta. That's just mind blowing, right? So <laughs> we, it, that, that to me is promising because if they have that much infusion of cash, it's almost impossible to fail if you do it right. But at the same time, in this day and age, who knows? So I'm kind of bullish, but I can 1000% say the culture of Clubhouse will change. I don't think we'll have the same certain Clubhouse that we have where, you know, most people you meet are awesome. In future, it'll become noisier and there'll be a few things to, you know, you have to like be more intentional 
But in general, you know, I think uh, I'm just going to be here, observe, and uh, hopefully it all works out. Yeah. So Suhaib, any thoughts in terms of how, you know, your club is going to perform as a pandemic kind of wanes down? What are your thoughts there? Oh, thank you. So I generally agree with what Ade said there, but on the same point, so before I kind of come to the club, there's kind of one thing that anyone, and, and these days I think everyone, has friends and relationships kind of across the world, kind of in this connected world we live in. And kind of as you kind of, you know, for me, when I finished medical school, it just becomes so hard to keep in touch with people. The behavior to kind of pick up that phone and call someone when you have so many competing interests gets more and more difficult as we do become more connected because we have so many connections. But what I found with clubhouses and how I use it as well, as more and more of my friends come on, I can pop 10 or 20 of them in a room right? And therefore my time, otherwise I have to bring everyone individually, you know, even if it's five minutes, right? Times 10 is 50 minutes. I can pop in a room for 20 minutes and talk to all 10 people at once and they feel like they've had my time. And similarly, it's the same thing with strengthening those connections, right? So when you meet someone, say if it's networking or, you know, for any, any opportunity to build that rapport, it takes time. You first meet them, you arrange to meet them maybe in two weeks, they're busy, maybe a month takes a kind of a long period to get to know someone. With Clubhouse, that kind of connection or that actual knowing someone rapidly increases. And when you talk to people on here, they feel like they've known people for a lot longer than they've actually known people. You feel like you've known people for maybe years when you've actually known them for maybe a few weeks because you are catching up with people every single day. The friction to kind of just hop on like a phone call, which doesn't seem like the pressure of a phone call. We have to start and end. We can just dip in, chime in, stay quiet you're there physically by this representation of the circle, just helps so much in that domain to be able to stay connected with so many people without that feeling like a commitment. So I think that really helps from that element. And as far as the club, um, I think human behavior is pretty, pretty broad. So the advantage, I think, of having numbers is that, look, even if people drop off, you hit different time zones, you hit different niche audiences. I mean, I have deep people who are interested in tech who attend some rooms. Then you have people interested in skincare in another one, mental health in another one, startup people in another one. So being broad and being big helps you hit all the different time zones, different audiences. So you get a complete different result depending on the show, the title, the guest, and the time. So yeah, I'm pretty bullish on Clubhouse and I do think it will do well. I agree. And it looks like the the audience agrees as well. Lots of votes um, for Clubhouse maintaining its market leadership. Okay, guys. So this was an amazing episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. I think my podcast listeners are absolutely going to love this, especially those on Android who have missed out on all the fun. I feel like they're so curious about this app. And that's why this was one of my highest downloaded episodes the last time I did a live. So super excited to put this out on the podcast. Okay. So to close out the room, I want to hear, I want to end on a positive note. So I want to hear how you guys have had a positive experience on this app. You guys obviously all spend a lot of time here. So I want us to go around and just say like how Clubhouse has improved your life, made a positive impact on your life. I'll start first and we'll go around, uh, you know, Addy, Christian, Joey, and so on. So for me, it's accelerated my career. Like I've met so many people. I have a, a really big following on LinkedIn. And so I was very connected on LinkedIn, knew all the LinkedIn influencers, really connected in the podcasting space. I was kind of a small fry on Instagram. I never really paid attention to that platform. 
And when I got on Clubhouse, it like all of a sudden I met all these different people who I have so much in common with. For example, Joey, we're, we're doing business together now. Paulina, who was here on the stage, we're doing business together now. I, like, I feel like I've met some of my best friends that I talk to every single day now on this app. And now everyone's meeting in Miami soon and it's just going to be so much fun. So it's just, I feel like it's accelerated my career. I feel like I've met people who I probably would have met in the next two years, but instead I've met them over the past (laughs) one month. And it's just insane. You know, it's insane the amount that it's accelerated my career. I feel like things are so busy right now because there's so much opportunity. And like I said, I feel like it's literally accelerating my career two years just with the amount of connections that I've been able to make with my reputation as it exists in real life. So it's just super interesting. Ade, how has this impacted your life positively? The truth is you said you feel like you may have met those people in two years. I don't think I'd have ever met certain people, not even just because of the circles that I, I'm in Silicon Valley we're in our own bubble. There are certain people, for example, like you, right? And then a lot of the marketing folks, that's just completely orthogonal from areas I work in. But talking to people, learning about their problems, and I'm like, wow, there's so much overlap. There's so much I can do and participate in. It's been impeccable. There's also other things. When I get off of Clubhouse, surprisingly, I'm able to appreciate the real world better. Like I, I take Clubhouse detox often, right? I switch off and just go appreciate the real world. So Clubhouse kind of lets me create the real world. The other part to to this thing is also, it reminded me that innovation still exists and it can be simple. Sometimes you can have good innovation with very simple ideas, right? You don't have to build something extremely elaborate, self-driving car with 20,000 whistles, just something as simple as letting people drop in a chat, it's no brainer, right? So that, that to me as an engineer is a huge, huge, huge motivator for me to go out there, find problems to solve and find simple things that I can solve that help people do better. Awesome. Christian, how has Clubhouse positively impacted your life? Oh my gosh. I would have never met the directors of LinkedIn. I would have never met Ade. I would have never met Jarrett. And, you know, it's really cool because like even people that I would think are completely out of reach, like I never thought I would talk to Grant Cardone. And I thought that was super cool or the Wolf of Wall Street or even the person that started up the whole GameStop stuff. So um, with Wall Street bets. So I think, you know, this has been such a positive app for me. Like when the whole pandemic was going down, I am a hardcore e extrovert. So when this app came out immediately, day one, I saw the value of it and I just started grinding every single day. And so when I first started grinding, I remember Ade was there. I was just like, oh my God, I just gravitated towards him and got into every single room he was in. I was like, dude, this guy's dropping knowledge left and right. And he's still doing that today. So yeah, like pretty much, I would say I'm super bullish with uh, Clubhouse. Even though we got an, a lot of new apps coming out, like the community here is untethered to anything I've ever experienced. So this is Christian and I'm done speaking. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Of course, Christian. And thanks guys so much for joining me. Dimitri, how has Clubhouse impacted your life? So in 2009, I went to my first Burning Man. And I've gone 11 years since. And Clubhouse feels a lot like Burning Man. Now, how does it feel like that? Meaning why? Uh, I believe the reason it feels like that is this medium demands us to pay attention. It's different than scrolling through Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. You can do that without paying attention. This demands your attention. And when you focus attention, when we focus attention on each other, as human beings, 
we discover, you know, that human beings are fascinating and some are, are great for our business and teach us and do all those things. So when I hear people talk about Clubhouse and how they feel about it, it's like this like new experience where they discovered themselves. This is very similar to the same thing we feel at Burning Man. Like I said, I think the reason for it is simply because we're paying attention to each other. And so it does feel like that for me as well. It's a great feeling to pay attention to other humans and engage in this way. Thanks, Dimitri. So, Habe, how has it changed your life being the number one club on Clubhouse with almost half a million members? Hell, uh, um, yeah, no, it's changed my life a lot. Um, what it's really done is it's helped me kind of get doctors and tech people in one room, which is kind of a dream of mine. And being able to kind of interview people like David Sinclair from Harvard and some cool AI people and people I thought I wouldn't really be able to, you know, be in touch with. And that breeds innovation. All these ideas in one place kind of make so many new ideas. And that's kind of what I'm most excited about. And then secondly, I guess it's the fact that it's minimized that activation energy needed to just meet people seamlessly. And and, the, and thirdly, the optionality in terms of normally we're limited by physical location. You have to move to certain areas, et cetera, and you don't get the choice. Whoever you work with, you can't choose. But on Clubhouse, there's unlimited choice, and you can kind of have that choice of who you want to spend your time with, and it kind of democratizes access in the world um, for you as well. So that's how it's kind of benefited me. It's so interesting that you say that. Like, it's so true. Like, you really get to pick your click here and kind of design your dream group of people. It's it's freaking amazing. And I'm so happy I met everybody here on the panel today. Mario, I'd love to hear from you. You know, as a top moderator, you were on the app pretty early, super respected on the app. How has it changed your life? You know, it's changed my life by actually seeing how it's changed others' lives. And so, what I mean by that is, I get super excited to see how introverts connect and how people have been able to come out of their shell, find their lane, identify their purpose, lean more into themselves. You know, I often talk about how vulnerability is the new currency and how this app, you know, being that it is voice only, it removes the camera. I'm a guy that comes from NBC Today Show, NPR, Sirius XM, got a lot of broadcast background, big personality on camera. Like I know what I needed to lean into. I was answering the purpose at an early age of what God was calling me to do. And I was like, I'm leaning into that. So I got an extroverted personality. So for me um, to see other people that, that didn't have that naturally be able to see this app, use this app in a way that's helped them become embraced or help them get a message out or get a bigger community or larger following. And a lot of the connections that you're hearing here, even people like Ade was just saying like, you know, I never was really, the stuff wasn't on my radar. I was busy doing other things. And so it's opened up all these doors. And I think that has been the biggest benefit that I've enjoyed helping people realize that and supporting them when that happens for them. And, and then I think for me personally, I would say the flip side of that really quickly would be that it's forced me to be a better active listener. So it has made me actually have to quiet the big personality at times. Like right now, I'm giving you the big personality because I'm super passionate about what I'm saying and I believe in it. But when I'm in these rooms, a lot of times I'm being much more cautious, not cautious is a bad word, much more uh, hesitant to just jump because I know that's natural for me to do. So I think in some degree, I don't think, I know, it has made me a better human because it's made me read spaces better and it's made me have to pause 
when I would like to speak to shut up and listen more so that I could actually speak with value when I do speak, but that it's not the intent for me to speak. It's the intent for me to actually be a better listener. And that makes me a better speaker. And I think me figuring that out through this app was a big unlock. Sounds super, super interesting and valuable. It's so true. You go in these rooms and, and you know, you start to quickly realize like who's really got the knowledge and who doesn't. And in some instances, you're the top expert. And in some instances, you really just need to sit back and listen, right? It just, you really get to, to understand those scenarios and kind of read the room. Great point. Okay, let's move it along to Scrap. How has Clubhouse impacted your life? I mean, um, almost immediately upon joining the app, I was kind of struck with understanding what was missing. I, I typically in life in general am the person who, A, I don't dwell on the problem as much as I look for a solution. I'm one of those people. And early on on the app, I saw a problem and it was a, it seemed like it was a small problem. And then once, once I thought about how to fix it, it became like this epiphany, this crazy little feeling I got. And I came back on the app. I discovered it off the app because I was getting like hundreds of DMs. And when I jumped back into my, uh, on the clubhouse, and that was the culture back in, when I joined in November, the culture was, hey, these people provide value, DM them. That was the first thing that everyone would say, DM them, DM them, DM them. And that was cool at first. I thought it was exciting to see all those DMs. And what I realized was it was not reciprocal. And that's how the term social digital currency and the concept behind knowing that you inherently have a value when you join any social media platform, you have value that can create the relationships and engagements that you want with anybody that you want to have that engagement with. And when I introduced that into the room, people were like, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? I was like, listen, before you jump in my DMs, spend some social digital currency. Follow me, turn on notifications, join my club or whatnot, because there is no pay here on this app. And the only way that you can show that I provided you value without you getting in my DMs and just asking for something and not giving something, because we know what people do with free stuff. When you give somebody something free, they don't treat it with any kind of value. They discard it. It's nothing. When you go to the grocery store and they have the free samples, it's like, yeah, you try the sample, but you don't buy the, the dish. You don't buy the food. You don't buy the whatever it is they're trying to market. So it hit me like that. I trademarked it two days after uh, coming back on the platform and realizing that everyone was having an aha moment because ultimately no one knows the value that they have. So as I speak on it, to this day, because like I said before, we're onboarding so many new people and there's an etiquette and a culture that we want to maintain and kind of preserve and kind of educate people on so that the experience on this platform is amazing for everybody. I find myself communicating about it. And when I hear the aha moment, um, similar to Mario, it's a moment of gratification that you get when it's like, yo, they get it. You know, this is going to bless their lives exponentially because social media we're on it for an engagement or a relationship. I don't care if it's business, religious, uh, educational, whatever it is, you're trying to create an engagement. And the only way you can create that engagement is by giving. If I had to, if somebody said, what is it about social digital currency? It's about giving. You must give first. Like too many times we wait for somebody to, uh, you know, we wait. People don't just, just inherently give, you know what I mean? And, and usually it's because they don't think they have it to give. 
And when you educate people, say, no, you're a billionaire. The minute you said yes to this app, the minute that you, you know, you said that you agreed to the policies, you became a billionaire in social digital currency. So that whole thing, um, the ideology behind it, I, I've said it to some, uh, you know, I come from the music background, working with Whitney Usher, Justin Bieber, and a whole lot of other folks. And I, I mentioned it to Usher and the shock and awe on his face was and he's a very reserved dude. He's not really, there's not much that gets him excited or whatever. And he looked over at me and said, dude, you're a philanthropist. And I didn't think of it that way um, in terms of it's a giving, you know, a giving platform so that you give and that promotes giving and that promotes giving and that promotes giving and and, and everybody feels good about giving. We know that, like we all know, giving is the superpower on this earth. 100%. Yeah, that's amazing, Scrap. That is amazing. Um, Elizabeth, what is your thoughts in terms of how this app has impacted your life? Oh, hi, Hala. Thank you so much for asking me that question. My thoughts on how this has impacted my life, the app, is really a combination of probably what everyone else has said, like the opportunities, the the fact that I could be on stage with people that if I went to an event, I may not have gotten the opportunity to like rub shoulders with them is huge, not just for me, but for everybody. Just the fact that I feel like it's an even playing field. Like you, doesn't matter what kind of following you have anywhere else. You can have a million followers on Instagram, 3 million on TikTok, whatever that is. But you come here and there's like this like sense of like you're all equal and you all have to like prove your value in a way. And I thought there was something so special about that. So that is the kind of value that I found here. It just made it equal for everyone to come in here and add value. So yeah, that's how I think Clubhouse is amazing. And where else do you get that opportunity to do that, by the way, for free, right? There's no cost to enter the room. There's no cost to raise your hand and just chime in and add your value. So I think that is super special. And that's what I got out of here. And I'm done speaking. I love that. I love that. Guys, what a great way to end the night, leaving it on a high note like this. Thank you guys so much. All the moderators here on stage, guys, if you found value in today's session, go ahead, tap their profiles, follow them on Instagram, follow them on Clubhouse, support them. Make sure you join their rooms. We've got so many talented folks here on the stage who are hosting rooms every single day on this platform. This episode was the part two of a two-part series for Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm your host Hala Taha. This is going to go live tomorrow morning, part one. Friday is going to be part two. And this episode was presented by Koji. If you guys want to see Koji in action, check out my link in bio. So thank you guys again. Thank you to all the moderators on the stage for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who listened. And if you guys want to catch the replay, just shoot me a DM guys. Have a great night. Thanks guys so much, everybody on the panel. Thanks guys. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Hello. Good night. Thanks, Hala. Good night.